welcome back to the Book and Life podcast with Crystal Fleming, and I am excited today to have a fellow lover of Mills and Spoon, and also a fellow lover of the good old time books, you know, the ones that are conflict and suspense. I spent a lot of time today with our guest, and I felt so honored and so privileged to have this conversation with her, and words fail me how lovely it was and how honored I am that she took the time to just sit and talk to me and um, share ideas and and thoughts about the industry and about writing and about just characters and the worlds that we create and how important books are and what our longevity that we feel is needed. So without further ado, I have to introduce this woman. But before I do that, I want to just quickly read the blurb um, advert that we have for Maria Curley's The Shadow, Time Guardian, Book 4. The battle is over, the war is won, the prophecy complete. But life can't just pick up where it left off for Ethan, struggling to cope with tragic loss at odds with friends of the guard. He finds himself adrift, jumping at shadows and sensing someone who can't possibly be there, blaming herself for the goddess. Athena's death, Giselle's fierce revenge, and full fight the immortal's plan for world domination, but Giselle hadn't planned on love, and that leaves her with an unbearable choice, should she follow her heart or the strings of a goddess short on praise but high on expectation, who continues to pull her from the grave. As the guard and the order battle through the past and into an impossible future, darkness lurks around every corner. The fight for the world's survival rests with just one, is it friend or foe who stands in the shadows? The Price of Freedom by Rosemary Rowan, which is her Roman British crime series, is donating its royalties to the Ukraine crisis, and it's it's such an important fund, so please, if you've got a spare pound or two, make sure you go over and you pick up one of her uh, books, and I also can say her agent has donated her commission um, as a way of helping with this crisis and at this horrible time. So thank you all for stopping by, and now I love to welcome our guest. Hey guys, so I have been super excited about this guest coming on. She was recommended to me by somebody I adored, and I loved having on. So let's not spend any more time delaying the most amazing event of the day. Please welcome Virginia McCauley. Is that right? Did I get it that McCullough. right? McCullough. It's the McCullough. it's O U G H from the end. McCullough. That's fine. I don't know why I went McCullough. I was like McCullough. I am terrible. I many really many hard. pronunciations. Don't worry about it. <laughs> so I see that you've got two books out currently. You've got the Ranch Fly Only Twins, and you've got the Doc's Holiday Homecoming. So do you want to tell us, because I know it's a series, so do you want to tell us a little bit about the series and then a little bit about each book? Sure. Uh, It's for the Harlequin Heartwarming line, and this particular line is uh, focused on Harlequin Westerns. And uh, for anybody who wants to know about the Harlequin Heartwarming line, it's it's what they call their their sweet or clean romances. and so you you know you won't find language and that sort of thing. They're they're very straightforward. They're each seventy thousand words or so. And the Ranchers Wyoming Twins 
is um, a, a book that brings somebody back to her home place after being gone. And, and actually her family lost a ranch and the, the hero is the man who, who bought it, who, who is, is raising his late sister's twins. She was killed in the Afghanistan war. So that, wow. and it's this, uh, it's the sheep ranching and um, uh, it's got that Western, uh, Western flavor to it, horse, horseback riding, country dancing. Actually, the thing that I liked that was fun about it was, was there, the, the, the two of them turned out to be very good dancers. So that, so that was, that was that. fun. Yeah, that was fun. And the Doc's Holiday Homecoming is uh, the woman in the first book. Her name is, is Heather, and she's back from, uh, from where she was staying for a while as a nurse. She's a nurse practitioner, and she was helping a woman named Olivia, who is a radiologist in Minnesota. She was helping with her very ill daughter um, going through leukemia treatment. And so that woman is the, comes to live in, in Adelaide Creek, Wyoming, and, um, and Heather's brother, long lost brother, comes back, and those two are the love interests in the Doc's Holiday Homecoming. She's, she's looking that. for a true home of the heart, Olivia is, Dr. Donahue, and, um, and she, she finds it in Adelaide Creek where she's very well connected already with, with this other family and the, these, these little twins and she has a daughter and, and, and Jeff Stanhope, uh, the, the brother, he comes from, from Seattle uh, back to, where, to Adelaide Creek and he's got a 14 year old boy with him that he has taken as, as a guardian of this, this boy, a, a friend of his died. And he I took her, her son. So, well, yes, I mean, what I, I really enjoy doing is creating families in different ways. And, um, and people are often not related biologically to any of the people in, their, in these families that they end, they end up with. Um, and that's the best yeah. Yeah. Truly, I really enjoy that. I love the fact it's set in Wyoming. I have a very vague little bit of a, a thing. I want to go see Wyoming because I, I hear about this beautiful sky and the, the views and the countryside. And I know it sounds bizarre because I'm Scottish and I have all that here, but yes. it's different. It's totally different. And it's the vastness, I think, of it. Yeah. The, the vast I, I love the idea of riding under it and just. Yeah. Yeah. I miss riding because since I broke my jaw, I haven't actually ridden a horse. Because here you have to wear a helmet, and I can't get a uh -huh. helmet on, so I haven't been able to ride. And I'm a fully qualified rider, and I miss it so much. So I know if I go to the states, like, oh, I can put a helmet on. So I think I, I was I was attracted to this because I, well, when I visited Scotland, I was completely taken with the sheep everywhere. And you know, and the, we went to visit these these sacred sites and the you know, stone stone circles, and there were sheep wandering around. And there, you know, I just and and in fact, on my my desk, I keep a little a little bronze sheep uh, thing from from Scotland. 
So I wanted to do that sheep ranching instead of cattle ranching when they suggested to me that they were looking for for Western for Western settings. And and the, the sheep ranching came in mind, but I also then connected with a childhood, um, kind of a little childhood interest was was, was horses and and riding. So um, I, I was able to connect those. It's realistic. It kind of comes into realism writing, and I think realism romance writing is such an amazing thing if, if done right. And yourself as being one of the leaders now for making realism writing very important to the audiences, and you, you pull it off so so well. And I think you're now one of the pioneers for that. And I just love that. I love the way that you're still taking stories that have been around for so long and you're making them so new and fresh and just you just melt when you read your work i really think that and so i was super excited to have you on to hear about this too well thank you so much it's really a, a pleasure to be here yeah and that's the great thing about this show is we talk about everything i know uh, we had a good we had a good long natter as i would say here in scotland uh before we started recording and that's the you know, that's the great thing, because we, we talk about writing and we talk about all this stuff that we can't really share on the podcast, but we do, we are educating one another, and the whole point of this is to uplift everybody and hold everybody up so that we can all benefit and share these these pressing stories that we all have inside of us. Because either you love writing or you don't. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I've always considered myself one of the really lucky people because I really love writing. <laughs> and you do it so well. I love just, I just love the way that you do it. So it just sounds like it's so effortless and it flows just so perfectly that it just feels like you're literally walking into a movie and you're watching a movie and reading it. So yeah, I think. I always recommend you and I recommend a couple of other people to you all the time, um, depending obviously on the genre, but yeah, uh -huh. you're one of my more recommendations. Um, well, thank you. I butcher your name every time though. Yeah, but that's okay. <laughs> I still we'll recommend you. Actually, actually, you know, if something looks, looks effortless, that's like 10 drafts later, you know, I mean, it's like. Oh yeah, and that's when people <laughs> don't realize it is. It's, it's hard work. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I know that. I I've done like thirteen different drafts, and then I'm like, wait, what was the story again? Like you, you do feel like you, you kind of lose your 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 mind a little bit. Is there a book that you've got upcoming that you're excited to share? Is there like another series you're working on, or is there another book that you've got in the works? Well, I'm I'm going to be finishing. I'm going to be writing book two of a series. Um, it's my Saint Anne's Island series, and Island Healing was the the first one, and Island Secrets is the second, and then I uh, then Island Waltz will be the the third. But it's taken me a long time because I got diverted. Um, I write nonfiction too, and I got diverted and didn't get my second volume of that series out. So I'm looking forward to doing that. I've got it in my, my mind for, for 2023 and oh, I'm trying to schedule see. out. Yeah. And I also have some other projects in the works. Um, I've got a book 
that's being circulated now. It's called the, the Cana Light Affair, and it has it's pictures of, of a baby that was rescued, and then a painting of the lighthouse where it was re where this baby, where this couple found a baby that they was not theirs. They didn't keep the baby, and but it became a big part of their lives because of the island and and the lighthouse rather where this this took place. So that book is, is circulating. And then I really, one of the things that I like about modern fiction trends is putting, it's usually women, usually women together who were either cousins, sisters, uh, college roommates, or high schools, you know, they all went to high school together or something. And then they always have these reunions or they find there, there's a summer that is um, kind of pivotal in their lives. And they, they maybe they broke apart, they come back. And I've got one of one of those that's going to take place at, at a lake in Wisconsin where these these four women had all worked during college and they come back every year. And this particular year, I'm calling it the, the Second Chance Women of Reflection Lake. And oh, I love that title. They've that's all beautiful. been married once and now they're 40-ish and they're going to start or that at least one is going to start the second marriage round. And so a lot happens in this week before this wedding is supposed to take place. So we don't know whether the wedding's going to happen. We don't know if maybe somebody else is going to have a wedding that they didn't expect. We don't know what's going to happen. <laughs> I love that. That, is, that sounds incredible. It's better I than love books like that. Because <laughs> I'm... I got inspired when I when I knew you were coming on. I just got this wave of inspiration, and it was for my Lord of Carfield series. And the idea is is that they they're these three stuffy brothers who are lords, and each of them gets pulled into romantic situations with everyday working women. So the first one owns a bookshop. Now I'll just talk about her because she's easier. But she she you know she has a bookshop and. There's one day that they're having an argument because he owns the land for the bookshop and he, they find a baby in a box oh. in the shop. And then like he thinks that baby's hers and it just starts this whole love kind of, starts all of his love feelings back up again that he's tried so hard to bury because he has to be the head of the family. And it's just that beautiful story of him learning that he doesn't need to be this hard and cold man and her realizing that she can love him because he can love her back and it's that story and it, it was so funny because I hadn't touched that I hadn't touched that idea at all until I heard you were coming on the show oh. and then I was like oh I got an idea and I, like I literally it was like two o'clock in the morning or something here and I went oh I got an idea and Ian was like go to sleep I'm like nope gotta go write this and I got out of bed, and it was freezing in my living room, but I sat with a blanket wrapped around my head. I must have looked like a homeless person. And I, I had my hands were literally frozen solid as I was trying to write down the idea. Because I'm not allowed to write in bed. Because there was one time I forgot to put the pen cap on and put it away, and Ian rolled over and wrote the pen. Oh no! And he had this like big black ink spot on his back for like two weeks and no matter what we used we could not get it off 
and it was awful. And uh, so yeah, he banned me from writing in bed, so I have to get out of the bed <laughs> and be a bit like a cave woman with the blankets rolled around my head. I just hope that I can get it written down before I get frostbite. That's so funny. Well, you have yeah. beautiful ideas too. You have some be beautiful stories that you're you're working with too. I, I find that all of the work that I do, it's like instead of just getting a pork chop leg, you know, a bare pork chop, you get the entire succulent pig. Like all uh -huh. of my stories have like so much to them. I know everyone's going to be mouth watering hungry after. Um, yeah. That's the thing, like, I give you the 15 course meal because I want you to believe that every single character is real. And I want you to go, oh my god, I have to go visit this place. I need to know what this place is like. And I wrote a story actually set in Ukraine, but I had to change the location. My publisher wouldn't let me. My publisher pressured me into changing it. And it was a story of, and it's, um, SIDS doesn't just happen to children, it can actually happen to adults. And the story was about Jason's wife, he goes to bed, and his wife passes through the night and you see this emotional struggle for him trying to save her. And him blaming himself the entire time that this is his fault. And you see him go through this brief story, and it's called, it's called Finding Love and Hope. And you see him grieve, and you see him bury her. And you see him make hope, and hope leads him back to his faith, and back to the church, and back to love. And she mm. teaches him that you can be in love, and you can have God in the middle. You can't. It's not a choice of God or or love. Uh huh. And that was the first story I set in Maine. And I wish I wish I'd stuck to my guns and kept it in Maine, because it. When we had it as a free download on Amazon, it down it was it was fantastic. It was so many downloads that my publisher panicked and she stopped it and she put it on buy because she was terrified that nobody would buy it if it had all been downloaded. Oh, and that ended up with it not selling at all. Oh was, dear! That was my first story that I had actually decided to really instead of it being two people meeting for the first time and falling in love. This was a really deep story that I did about grief, that I did about finding love, understanding love. Um, and that was because I was reading books by you, by other health, uh, you know, sort of romance lines from Mills and Boone, like heartwarming and medical. And it got turned down from uh, Mills and Boone, but I think it's because it was quite a small book. It was a very novella kind of style. But it was the first time I had actually stepped in that direction. Um, wow. So I owe you a great thanks for that, because you're part of the reason that I'm pushing to become a Mills. It's going to be like a badge of honor. I'm going to get like a shirt made up that's going to say, a Mills and Boone girl, and I'll have like the colors, and, and I'll have my <laughs> first photograph taken with like the colors of Mills and Boone in the book. And yeah, I would be one of those sort of fat girl authors that would drive me insane. <laughs> Oh, that's funny. But it's, it, it's, that's, my, that's my passion. If I win a company, I give them my, like you, I give them everything I have. Yeah. And I, I push for that. And I think that's why I have an, an agent now called Eric, Eric Miller of Lincoln. I nearly screwed that up. And he's doing my YA at the moment. But as he said, I'm somebody that never quits. 
and I love authors that don't give in. And yeah. you are a prime example of that. You pushed through everything, and now you're successful. You've had 50 years in the business. That is something well, for yes, everyone I, to look up to. I always want to to clarify that I, st I started out writing family living articles in my 20s. You know what I mean? It's like, I do, that I didn't start writing fiction, and you know that this was an evolution of topics that I wrote nonfiction pieces about, and then I became a nonfiction co-author with experts, and then I became a ghostwriter and a coach and an editor and all those things. You know, were flowing out of that over over decades um but you to me it's like you've done it for 50 years because you have been writing to yes, me it's not I, about yes. how long you've been publishing it's, it's about the years that you have physically sat in front of a computer even well, if you've yes. a two-year-old hanging off your leg and you've yes. written what you need to write that to me is right. the admirable part right well and and when you break in with i didn't try to go to the big women's magazines at the time to break in i went into to smaller markets which which is why i was able to to publish earlier and and i didn't have any notion that i knew how to write the bigger things like the fiction or the bigger books even that it's a i i really looked at my at my whole trajectory as a going a, apprenticeship in each stage and i think that's i think that if i were to tell somebody nowadays if you want to write full time i believe it is possible but i do believe that it usually requires you to write in several different areas yeah and maybe you have to write if you want to write fiction you might have to to write nonfiction too because the fiction might not be enough for a full-time living if you want to make a full-time living at it there might be many different directions to go. I'm actually writing about that now too, because I really want to leave that behind, you know, that kind of encouragement for for people. When I say that, leave that behind, I'm not planning to leave the business, but but I still I just feel like this 50 years has taught me a lot of things that other people can benefit from too. And I think that's really important because we're almost keeping the industry going. We're keeping it alive. We're keeping it history alive. And that's super important. And, mm -hmm. you know, we were talking about Catherine Crookston before we started recording. Yes. She did that. She wrote a book saying, hey, my life freaking sucked. And yes. this is how it sucked. <laughs> I and know. you know what? I still did it. So why are you complaining? Get on and do it. And that's why I call her my kick up the ass author. Because yes. If she can do it with all the things that she had to deal with, yes. what is my excuse? She had she it. had uh, illnesses that were debilitating, seriously yep. debilitating, and yet she kept on pushing through. The only thing I think she she decided that she couldn't do more of, as as I remember from her 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 memoir, was that she couldn't go out and different times and give talks she had to pull pull back on that that as much as she was in demand her her illness made it pretty difficult for her because she would have flare-ups and attacks and she'd end up bleeding with these she had a bleeding yeah. disorder and you know she ended up she in the hospital, in hospital with, as well yeah and 
her mental health, you know, that was really bad and she couldn't carry a child, she didn't get pregnant. Yeah. You know, which a lot of people don't know and that destroyed her because the only thing that she could consider as her own was her novels. Her yeah. novels with her children. And when I heard that I was like, I'm going to be that person that takes her flag and for the next fifty years of my life I'm mm-hmm. going to say, Remember this woman. This yeah. woman who broke the industry and changed so many lives. Don't you dare forget her. And I hope that my kid keeps it up and it keeps going and that she's she almost becomes a Jane Austen that they teach about her in school. Yeah. Because her style is not, you can't replicate it. There's no, no way to replicate it. No, no, and, and the the popular fiction um uh legacies i mean i think there are are other people with a big with legacies like like that too um and the whole romance world has has legacy authors like that that i think need to be need to be remembered and i fear are being forgotten um as or as considered old-fashioned the other thing is that a lot of times i remember this from when I first first joined RWA about 20 years ago, and I'd say, "Oh, I really admire so and so," and people would say, "Well, I don't I don't read her," and I said, "Well, I don't necessarily read her either. I ad- admire her career, exactly, and yeah. that there's a big difference between saying I'm gonna I'm gonna read everything that a certain author writes because you know, and looking at what she did with her life." And how she managed her career, that you, those are the that's where the whole role model thing comes comes in, where I yes. I looked at so many writers um, that I've been I've been reading for a lot of my adult life, and I just admire how they just they manage their careers. And I think what we need to to be seeing, and I know they're starting to do it in Oxford now, thank goodness, but we need to be seeing modern ear like modern era rights writers being used as sort of educational tools uh-huh. you know because rachel kane she got picked and oxford did an entire semester on her uh-huh. i think we need to have sort of mod not just modules not just you know half a year on on a modern day author but we need to start seeing Authors of the 2000s, authors of the the 90s, split it up into decades so that people can actually take the time to read that era, but also study it, learn learn how it changes, how the industry changes, why our writing has to change, why it has to modernize, why we can't, you know, all be Tom Hardings or all be Catherine Goodsons or all be Daniel Steele, Um, you know, I think that's where the education needs to go now. And mm-hmm. we have to look at the RWA and the commercial, you know, all these unions, because they are the ones that have the power to change what is being taught to the next generation. And it's them that we need to look to and say, we need to try and encourage these universities to offer people more choice and literacy so that we get new editors, so we get new people coming in. And they're younger, and they're fresher, and they're hungrier, and they will, you know what I mean? They understand the industry. 
because they've studied it from the 90s straight through or you know what we would call the classics all the way through and that okay that might mean an extra year in university probably but it's important because they can connect you with the people that they're working with and they can make the industry a better and a more inclusive place right i i agree so i I apologize no i agree i agree and the other thing is i i noticed in in the united states now um i would say the last 10 years we're we're finding new life in what we would call here immigrant fiction immigration fiction and one of the areas the most and then we're also in conflict fiction too some of the writers that I've been reading in the last few few years are um, from Af- Afghanistan. A lot of them might have been been born here, but they have family in Afghanistan, and they they were going back and forth. There are people whose family escaped from Af- Afghanistan. They're writing they're writing novels about women escaping the Taliban, I, and I'm just eating them them up. Then there's yeah, also the 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 Indian American immigrant ex- experience. I just keep finding more and more really wonderful novelists writing I that. I'd like to read more Native American work because I think well, this isn't Native American. I wasn't I wasn't thinking Native American, although there's that too. Uh, but this is Indian of, of American people, oh, right, yes, people immigrating yes. families from India, and it really just um, just some of the most the most wonderful novels that really explore all of those conflicts of the whole immigration life and and we've always had immigrant fiction in the united states anyway you know i mean every generation yeah. writes about about the newcomers of uh in and usually the ethnic groups and so on and it's just it's made it enriched me laugh that you say that because i literally just got done series and it it triggered something in my head there was a tv series done here in the uk and i had no idea it was a a series of books funnily enough and it's about a family that ends up going to corfu and it's about their experiences in corfu oh yeah and i'm just trying to remember what they're called um it's the jarrells the 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 jarrells that's the one and it was just like when you were saying that, and I was thinking that, and then I, I thought to myself, I wonder if she'd read the Good Karma Hospital books, which is, you know, it's like an English doctor who then, you know, she goes out to help in, in India for a year and then ends up falling in love with the place. And right. she ends up staying there. And, and here's these two British people running this hospital in India with limited resources and limited opportunities and I just I fell in love with it and I know mm-hmm. there's so many people out there who are Indian who don't get that there's not a lot of Indian TV shows with you know read, read Indians that that's out there that's good mm-hmm. that everyone can enjoy and yeah I, I just I was like as soon as you said that I thought I gotta tell her about this because yeah. obviously the characters in that series it's four seasons long and it's worth every minute that you could watch it for and it was done by the British um, production and broadcasting company called ITV and yes. uh, 
I don't know if you get ITV Hub over there, but if you if you do, I highly recommend it because it was just such a groundbreaking series. It really well, was. Th- we get the, uh, masterpiece, the name, masterpiece Theater gives us the the uh, Jarrells, uh, that whole that whole series. And then, because that's a literary family, Lawrence Jarrell, and then I can't remember the other, the other one. Oh, the youngest one. Um, he but went on to become a famous uh, writer, and he actually ran his own very famous um, zoo, and did a lot of famous uh, research papers uh-huh. on on animal studies. And obviously, I can't remember. Yes, I can't. Yes, right. I always right. wondered, and, and, and his sister ended up becoming you know, this rebel of society who was on cruise ships and lived her entire life at sea. And she, you know, she, she passed away just exploring the world on board these cruise ships, which I thought was yeah. just so funny. And then um, the oldest one, Lawrence, was, was a spy um, and used his literacy skills as a spy. I can't imagine how scary that would have been for him to have been in Corfu and knowing that three Germans was approaching. Uh-huh. So yeah, I just love that series as well and I think it it's so well done. It's weird yes. because here in the UK, we're raving, you know, we we are so hungry for American product. And we oh. get so much American product on offer to us. We've got Netflix, and we've got Amazon Prime, you know, we've got Sky. And then almost sometimes we forget how good British stuff is. So like when we get things like called The Midwife or Abbey oh. or the Gilded Age is almost like a reminder. Hey, uh, you know our stuff's good too. So I I do like to share like things that I I've watched and I've I just fall in love with. Um, the other one, if you get a chance to see it, is Grantchester. Oh yes, we get that. Yeah, and I get it on on Amazon Prime too. I think. Yeah, it's great. Yes. Isn't it? I love yes. that series. Yes. Um, I didn't know about it till like two months ago. Oh, and I was convalescing, and I couldn't write because I kept falling asleep on my keyboard because I was on such heavy antibiotics. And I ended up starting to watch it, and my father-in-law would come to me with the most ridiculous shows for me to watch. Yeah, and I'm like, "Where did you find this? Like, it'll be something on the BBC or or Netflix or ITV, and I'll be like, dude, I don't own a TV, so everything I watch is just ridiculous." So I always have to kind of remind him of that. But yeah, you know, he, uh, was it the economy of scandal was one he came to me with. And I, I know I have the book in the house. I haven't read it. And I was so, I didn't want to watch it before I read the book. Because you know the, uh-huh. way the book's always better? Yeah. And then they were like, no, you got to watch it because it's the actress from Downton Abbey who plays the lead. Oh. <laughs> and I was like, well, damn gotta watch it now yeah so that was me and and i watched it and i i couldn't stop watching it i think like ian was like waking up at like two o'clock in the morning and i'm still watching it and he's like go to sleep you know, oh i know I really into it um and it was the same with the bridgerton series i adored it was fun it was nice to watch a period drama that was just light-hearted and fun um you know there are serious topics that they do talk about in it but it was it was nice to have it fun and just to have something to get lost in and yeah. uh, i can now safely say on this podcast 
that I actually have been mentored, luckily, as a writer, as a screenwriter. I have been under the mentorship of Shona Lund, and it's the vice president of Shona Lund who wow. has actually been mentoring me. And I've been a part of the One in Four Writers Program, coalition program, that's designed to bring more disabled writers into writer rooms to make it oh. a more inclusive industry and have it less about what minority boxes we tick and more about the people that actually work in the industry. So I, I'm very glad to be the face of that. Yeah. Uh, it feels it feels a lot of responsibility, I must admit, when I started it. I was like, what am I getting myself into? Um, as, as it does with anything I do to promote disabled writers. Um, but yeah, so I, I'm recommending anybody out there who wants to expand all their writing and who maybe is struggling with dyslexia or other disabilities like health issues, please look up one in four writers coalition because they uh -huh. really are making a huge difference to everybody in the industry. Um, and I, I hopefully in, an, in a couple more months, I'll be able to tell you the results of my mentorship program. But right now it yes. seems, seems to be going quite well. And that's, that's what you were talking wonderful. about, you know, going into every other area of writing that you can to, to make a living. Right, exactly. And then, and, um, and actually, a, there's a very big area now is um, coaching, um, coaching other, other people. I used to call it just being a consultant and an editor and critiquer, that sort of thing. But now it falls under the whole rubric of, of, of coaching and, and uh, and that is you know that's a really um, that's a really rich area now and because people I noticed that be before they submit their 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 novels these days they have developmental editors coaches copy editors you know a lot of people I will know, I see will it on do Twitter this all the time I'm like wow like how can you afford all these people like I wonder too I mean I really do I, but. Um, I didn't see that so much in in, in um, uh, Romance Writers of America, but I do see it. Of course, that was my act. Most active years there were were uh, you know a few years ago, but I do see it a lot in the Women's Fiction Writers Association, where an awful lot of people are um, are getting outside coaching as they're they're writing, and I you know working with with people, um, you can really see how quickly people catch on to some of the basics like point of view or showing and not telling and and plotting and things like that when once they're just shown a few a few tricks or a few principles or this is how we present dialogue it isn't done this way it's done this way some of it is very basic but it helps people um it helps people with the presentation of what they're 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 going to send to to agents and Absolutely. publishing houses and and doing for their indie publishing too yeah i just i look at the i i must be the only one that looks at the prices and think uh, how do you afford all that like but i understand a lot of them take out business you know business grants and business loans and they make it into a business i just i i don't know maybe i'm just too scaredy but i i work with people who i trust and i hope that i that's the old way of doing it and I'm quite happy with the old way of doing it and I don't really want to change it so um, 
that's just me though. I, I get stuck in my ways sometimes when I'm only 33, so. Well, I think, I, I just think that some of these things have been adaptations to the to the changes within the, the industry yeah. and to the opening up of opportunities with the independent publishing world. People, yes. now we know that independent publishing has great value, but it has to be done in a real high quality way, or it will go by the wayside because people people will say, well, I'd rather, I'd rather read something that I know has been uh, read by other people and, you know, that, that is done more, more carefully too. Because and independent publishing, yeah. it's, yeah, it's just a, it's a big, huge world now. I, I encourage people to get into all of this. You can yeah. have a, a career that is both traditionally published and independently published and combine those. Not at all. Either. Not at all. In she fact, I believe that's the future. I believe that that's what most careers are going to be in the future. Yeah, and I keep trying to kind of like install that in people. It doesn't matter mm -hmm. how you're published. It's what you publish that matters. Yes. Um, has there been a book recently that you've read that you would say has really stuck with you that you just haven't quite shaken? Um, I've read, you know, I've read several things lately that have, have stuck with me. Um, and one of them, one of them is a book by an author. Um, I wrote it down cause I wanted to make sure I, I got her, her name, right. Tracy Garvis Graves. Okay. And she, she wrote a book called the, the girl he used to know. And it kind of deals. Yeah. yeah, it is an absolutely fabulous book about a person which we might say could be on the spectrum, maybe Asperger's, where yeah. she can't relate socially. Yeah. And it has consequences throughout her in, entire life. And then she she does some really heroic things. And um, and it's it was like a real page turner to me. The other one the other one that made an enormous, I, I, when I wrote it down that I'd read it, I put asterisks there, you know, to say was a book called the, the storyteller's secret. And it's by an author, Sejal Badani. And she's, um, uh, Indian American, but I believe she might've actually been born in, in India and is an, is a new, new American. Oh, and she goes, she goes back, um, she goes back to, to, to India for particular reasons to discover particular things about her, her family. And I was, it was another one of these where I just kept, I just couldn't soak it up fast enough. You know, I just loved it. Um, yeah, and then, you know, and then I have favorite authors. Barb O'Neill, Barbara O'Neill is is one of them, and her her book she has a new one out or it's coming out, and I I haven't read it yet, but the but her book just before this one was called When We Believed in Mermaids, and it's about Ooh, sisters like that, that get separated and and find each other in New Zealand, so it has a nice okay. setting yeah. in New Zealand, and I like her. I've read all her her books. Her she has these cool titles, um, this, yeah. the secret recipe for, for happiness. 
and how to bake a perfect life was was another one i think and i she, remember reading it though like, yeah she, well, she's a foodie she's a foodie she she does this really rich sensory food stuff in all of her her novels yeah i get i get told off for having so much food in my <laughs> i have it for a reason i have it for a reason it's to remind me to eat <laughs> so I have all these food scenes planned out and everyone thinks I'm doing these elaborate meals and it's nothing to do with that. Uh, it's because I have to remind myself to eat while I'm writing. Yeah. Well I do yeah. like I I do like um I do like books that um that use sense that are sensory rich and sure in hers it isn't just food but it's also color and and um and the feel of things and you know wind on the face sort of things she's very she's just very good and and you know i i've also when i look back on my my reading life i realize how i how i used to read um so much susan howich cashel mara and pen merrick those books that are like a thousand pages long yeah and i read those in the 70s and 80s and there are those British epics. And I, we always, there's so many Americans, like so many, I like those, God is an Englishman, you know, <laughs> the yep, big, yep. To, to serve them all my days. I liked Maeve Binchy too, you know, Rosamund Pilcher, all of those, those uh, real epic British writers. See, I read a lot this year. Um, I would say I've read more than normal do. But there was a book at the end of last year that I read um, called Hamilton by Kathleen Cookson. And I still cannot get that book out of my head. Oh. No matter what I read, nothing is shifting. Um, you know, because the idea of it being, it's a trilogy. And there's a horse that she mentally creates when she's dealing with trauma, stress, abuse, right? I can't get it out of my head. Nothing oh, else is yeah. sticking the way that this book is stuck. And it's driving me a bit crazy because at the moment I'm writing about horses. And I have this funny Hamilton horse that takes the piss out of everybody in the book running around my little story. And I'm like trying to ignore him because that book that I read is just so ingrained. And I'm like... Yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna lose it. I'm gonna, but it's funny because I didn't start writing um, "Ride with Me" until I written, I read Diana Palmer's "Why Only Series." Oh, and I, I can't. I think it was book seven I read because I didn't realize it was a series. I thought it was one of like a standalone. Mm -hmm. So I don't know how I got it. I think I got it um, through a friend or somebody gave it to me. And I read it, and I, I was just, I, I just said, oh my god, that's my kind of voice. I want to write, like, the, I want to show my voice in this way. Um, so that's why I started writing it. It's actually a heartwarming one. And I didn't think anyone would want to read it, and I entered Pitch Mad, which all of us have to do. And I got parted by two of the editors at Milton Boone. Uh-huh. So it's kind of like the pressure's on. I got to deliver and I'm like, 
And I was in the group, because it's a writer's group on Facebook. And I was in there, and I literally wrote, I am terrified to submit this, people. Help. <laughs> so they, they really good. They were really, they were so supportive. They pushed me through it. And, you know, some of them have messaged me and say, have you heard yet? Have you heard yet? And I'm like, I don't know. I haven't heard yet. So hopefully uh, by the time this podcast comes out, you will have heard. I hope so. I certainly hope so. Yes. Because <laughs> to me, Mills and Boone is a family. It's like being accepted into a family. It's an amazing place to be and a place to work. And, mm-hmm. and that's been my, my dream goal is to land somewhere as beautiful and as welcoming as it is there. And to not be worried about my, my own sort of obstacles I have to overcome. So yeah, finger, fingers crossed. But no, it's um. So that was that was the thing that I couldn't get over. If you had infinite time and you could just sit and enjoy one author and one series, who would it be, and which series would you choose? Oh, one author, one series. It's a bit of a tough mm. one. Well, you know, um. I have enjoyed the Nantucket books of two authors, Nancy Fair and Ellen Hildebrand. And both of them, and they they write connected. Some of the books are connected books. They're not series as in romance series. But both of them write, you know, they'll write about this family, you know, where there's a sister and a cousin and there's two books and, you know. Both of and I love their setting, and it's made me very aware of my settings. I choose them pretty carefully and create them. I, I, Nantucket is its own setting, and and it has a romance to it, and you know, just the you just say it, and people know it's this island. And I love islands. I lived on an, an island in in Maine, and and then. I set my St. Anne series down in the Georgia Golden Isles. I just made up an island and after one of them, you know, resembling one of them, because I love islands and and yeah. um, and that's the thing about the the Nancy Fair and and Ellen Ellen Hildebrand. They they just they own that setting, and I think that's one of the reasons why I'm so taken with them. Oh, I love that. And it, would that be your author as well that you would pick to read, or both of those those authors? Yeah, both of them. I, you know, you can't get me down to one. You know, <laughs> <laughs> I was giving it a good old try. <laughs> you, you were, but I don't know. One, one is just if you read a lot, one author is just not quite, you know, going to do it. it. Cut and both it, of no. them, yeah, and both of those those women have written lots of books, so that means I can. I can read for a long time on this, in this, just the, the two of them. Yeah, of course. Is there an author, past and present, who's influenced and inspired you to read and to write? If so, who were they and what was it that got you excited about both of those things? Well, Nancy Fair is one of them uh, in my adult life. Um and I and really what she what she writes is what I started writing, which is they would call it women's fiction today, but yeah. really it's family drama love story. That's what I called it for a very long period of time, family drama love story. 
and um, she wrote, uh, now not all of the first books actually were Nan Nantucket settings, but those were her more famous ones later. Um, but she inspired me because they were full stories that involved um, extended family or women finding finding themselves, women leaving bad situations to find better ones, you know, all of those modern dilemmas, women women finding careers, women finding work, um, yeah. work of their own. Uh, abs absolutely, I would say that that's certainly. Um, and then those, like I said, I would say that that the those women who wrote those those kind of long epic tales too also influenced me. If you know that the idea of oh I would love to write this book that goes on for a thousand pages and connects the generations and you know the big yeah. family saga uh, type books too though those all of those inspired me as well. Oh I love that answer because it's it's you're after my own heart on that one and I think that's because I was in love with Catherine growing up. What genre do you feel most drawn to when you visit the library, bookshop, or online bookstores? Where is it that you instantly find yourself? I have, um, I have more recently, uh, what, what I'm calling women's fiction now, like I said, was called family drama love story and was considered mainstream fiction. Women mostly yeah. wrote it, women mostly read it. It was mainstream, mainstream fiction. And I'm still drawn to those those stories. There are some that are I, people are calling domestic suspense, where a woman finds out that her husband is missing, and then he's got a million secrets, and you know, and she might be in danger now, and you know, that sort of sort of thing. Women in yeah. some kind of peril, but not necessarily romantic suspense with serial killers and that sort of thing. I'm not real drawn to a lot of that. I'm more drawn to um, well, a, a person that, a, a woman who suddenly has a missing child and there's, and, and the whole book is about finding the child, but also all the different reasons why she would be under sus suspicion. And, yeah. you know, I think as I, I think I could identify with what that must be like, you know? Yeah, no, it, it's scary. In fact, I, I know a lot of people who are just moms who don't read it because it's their worst nightmare, you know? So yes. I, I like it when somebody dies into something that's totally different and you can provide a totally different perspective. Has there been a book that you've actually picked up and you started reading and you couldn't really put it down, but you thought, why am I reading this? What was I thinking? Well, there have been, there've been an awful lot of them like that. Um, where I just kept turning the pages. And actually, um, I'm not going to be able to re remember the, the title of it now, but some people will probably get this connection. There was a woman who is from Afghanistan, or she's an Afghani-American, and she was on CNN as a uh, correspondent. And I saw her, her books in the YA section, and she has a, a book, and I will find it and email it, email the, the, the title to you. She has a book about, which is like a Romeo and Juliet story. 
in war-torn Af Afghanistan, honest to God, I thought I couldn't, I would stay up. I, I read it all in one day. I let everything else go. I had to find out what was going to happen to those two young people. Yeah. It, and, and, and here's the one I can't re remember the name of. I was actually looking for it, and I couldn't find it in my list of books either. But I will will get it to you. Because it was just one of those where the people, where you just, you think to yourself, oh, don't, don't do that. You're in too much danger. Oh, don't go, yep. don't go there and try to meet over there. Oh, you're, somebody's going to get killed. And, and of course, in this kind of a story, somebody does get killed. I mean, there's just all kinds of danger and peril that these, these people are in. On, on a quieter way, though, that book I was telling you about, this, this, the Storyteller's Secret, yeah. um, where this woman goes to her roots and finding her family in India, that had that same effect on me. I was turning the pages, turning the pages, and just yeah. couldn't put it down. I, I know that feeling, because um, I can't read my own stuff, which is awful. Once it is done, it's edited and it's it's in the world. I can't reread it. And I don't know why that is. I just can't. And it's funny you say that because I got very conflicted over the inspiration for my book called Marie's World. And it was inspired by a man named Matt Hardy. And Matt Hardy is a famous actor and wrestler. And he made me very conflicted over the series because it's so different. Marie's mm. World is designed to be that different story. And it's sports romance at a time when sports romance didn't exist. Uh huh. So I was the first person to do a wrestling love story on my own with a wrestler as my co-author. And I can tell you, it was the scariest five books. I never finished the series. I did five of the books. I released five of the books and we wrote the rest, but we never went further. And I did have people that were really on television that were really big supporters of the series. But it never took off. So uh. That was my out of the ordinary story that I like to tell people. When they say, I look for a book that's really different and really grabs me and just wants to take me on a different ride, I feel bad because I'm always saying to people, well, try Marie's World because you've got twin sisters who turn on each other one publishes the other's diaries to the world you've got estranged husbands you've got love triangles you've got secrets you've got shooting you've got you've got all this stuff that happens in five books and then you have the dads you know every character has their say in the story so you've got the dad's own book and him talking about losing his wife and giving up his twin daughters to, to drive trucks and then you've got Marie and, uh, and, and Layla feeling like they've been abandoned in their story. And then you've got Amber, who didn't even know her dad was a wrestler, didn't know she had a different dad to her family than the, her brothers. And that's her own story, and a story about how she doesn't trust them, and she doesn't trust this new dad. And, but she desperately wants to be a part of their family because she knows it doesn't really fit in hers. And every one of my stories has that conflict that's what I'm saying. If you like something that's totally out there, totally different, you won't find another story like it. Trust me. I've looked. 
I recommend giving it a try. And yeah, you know, it's only four. I mean, it's five books and one, basically two is prequels. But it really is about I have built this entire universe. And even wrestlers say it's like they open the book and it's like they're actually at work. They're in a locker room. Uh-huh. They can see this happening. They can imagine living it and they're thinking, oh my God, this is like our worst nightmare having a book come out that not only tells this girl's secrets, but she tells the secrets of two of the top wrestlers and the owner of a wrestling company. And she just outs everybody in one go. And then she's got to go and work for this company. And her sister's like, oh shit, I have to go protect my twin from this evil <laughs> guy but I'm married to this evil guy and I love this evil guy and the conflict you know it's all about the conflict it's not really I don't feel I can't hear you So, yeah, so when I talk about doing, I don't even know what Marie's world would have been classed as. I, I never mm-hmm. cared about it. I just, I said I was going to do the story and I did it. Um, but I think you, you would probably class it as women's fiction, maybe? Uh-huh. Because it is sounds just like conflict it. based. Yeah. Um, sounds like it. And, and when, the way they're defining women's fiction now is, um, is, is the. The most important part of the story is the woman's journey. It's her change, it's her, her arc. Now she may fall in love, she may have a family, she may be uh, you know, a nurse in the war, you know, but whatever her particular arc is, whatever her particular journey is the most important. I think that's also why we're seeing so much first person fiction. And I like first person fiction. I've been writing quite a, quite a bit of it myself, other than the romance, because I like it myself. I like it too. And I think for me, when I walked away from Marie's World, which kind of broke my heart because I wanted to finish it, we had actually planned for it to be a 32 book series. And we only did five, which, you know, I, I hated walking away, but I understood I needed to do it for my career and for, you know, for me to be able to do it at a later date. And it's weird because I don't promote it as much as I should. But at least now, like, I can say to you, you can go out at some point, and you can pick it up, and you can read it. And you can get to visit a world that you, I mean, I can't see you turning on the wrestling and watching it. Because it's not not a world you know. But I give you the opportunity to come into the world and experience it for a little bit of time, but in a way Mm -hmm. you can understand it. And my idea really was to bring wrestling and romance together because wrestling is one of the oldest forms of sports entertainment in the world and of course romance is one of the oldest forms of literacy in the world and these are two billion dollar industries I don't understand why these two are not connected before me so I went out of my way and I've sewn them together and okay it didn't take off but at least I know that, that I've given some 
eyes to wrestling and wrestling has had some look at my you know romance and and i do know that there's a now a higher majority of females watching wrestling yes and it is because of romance novels doing football basketball that's know, true wives of footballer you know footballers hockey, wives hockey players like too. yeah hockey is a big one for that yeah and then of course Actually, football is soccer, you know, depending on where you are. Um, that yeah. that that's such a global. That's a global. Uh, it was so weird. That has like, reached mm. that, you know, way beyond what what American baseball, you know, has. It's, it's reached, yeah. um, which is why you do you do see it. You know, it's. I think that's that's very. It's very interesting though that you say like that people don't know the the wrestling world. Well, you know, we don't know a lot of the things we're, we're immersed in. I don't know anything about sheep ranching either. But I wanted to set the books on a sheep ranch. <laughs> yeah. Unfortunately, I, mean, I actually did dive into that wrestling world. I I went and I mentored under somebody, and I was actually told I could never be a professional wrestling writer, a script writer, because I was female. And oh. I took that sexism comment, and I do name the guy because I think it's wrong that he did what he did and said what he said. But my point of view on this is, is that I go out and I promote it. I promote, hey, I'm a female. I wrote a very successful wrestling series. And yeah, I'm female, guys. But female writers can sometimes be the best writers you have. Why are you not opening up your doors to more writers that are mm -hmm. female? Mm -hmm. I mean, we're more dedicated than most so you know wrestling world wake up you gotta you gotta see that you know females is the way to go in the future and if you want your business to keep growing and to keep expanding time time to let the girls in the back and and do what they do best and not just treat us like arm candy because guess what We've well that's true. Too. with the fan yeah. base for for any sport and of course, now that the sports have, have opened up more, you know, where, where women play, more look yeah. at, you know, I mean, that, that helps too. But the Olympics, yeah. you know, certainly helped um, yeah. spread the word about certain kinds of, of sports too. I mean, I'm, I'm proud because I look at All Elite Wrestling. And on there, they have the first ever Native American transgender woman wrestling and that is history because uh -huh. she made the change she broke into the industry and she wrestled and she represents that set of people because there's nothing scarier than trying to be yourself in this day and age it re there really isn't and I admire her for that and I admire yeah. wrestling for that because they support their gay wrestlers. They support their, you know, all the different types of walks of life that come in. I mean, there was a wrestler sleeping in his car because he was so loved what he did. And when one of the boys discovered that that's what he was doing, he opened his door to him and said, hey, I got a spare room. You can stay with me. You got your new contract. Get on your feet. I don't care about your, you know, your drama or your baggage. Let's, you know, focus on wrestling. Let's do that. It is for anybody that's in that industry, it's a fraternity. It's like being a part of a huge family. And if 
If there's a wrestler that comes to town, you're guaranteed he knows at least 10 people in that town that can buy him dinner if he's short uh -huh. on money. They take care of each other. And that's almost what kind of drove me with this podcast, is I hope that as writers, we can start taking care of each other too and make mm -hmm. it so that we all succeed rather than it being this, you know, I call it the rat race to who can make the most money fastest, you know? I think it needs to be more about let's support each other as we go on this journey together rather than make it just about money. So well, going into your writing and in, into your writing career, how did you go about creating sort of the darker elements in your story, like the obstacles they had to overcome and the things mm -hmm. that they had to endure? That's probably the hardest part for me because I want I want it all to wrap up in a nice happy ending. <laughs> so I've had to work on, on that. Um, I do, I probably in some of my my women's fiction that conflict is easier to to build to go down. One of the books that where there's you know one of your questions is there a character that you want to write more about or has you know and both of them may be young people. And the conflict in the one particular book, Amber Light, is that this is a woman who was the, the victim of an assault and has to start her life completely over. And everything is a challenge. And she has this young child, and she's this young one. All her plans for her for life completely go awry. And, and so building in that, that conflict was probably easier than in any of the uh, romance because it started with such a um, serious, tragic challenge. You know, this is, this is what has to happen now. You have to force them to, to change. And I think that's the same way the, the, the other young person, this woman is really a, a teenager in this character rather, She's 13, and her mother is very sick. And yeah. her whole life revolves around trying to get her, her mother better. And she becomes a catalyst for a whole cast of characters where there ends up being them all together because of this secret quest that she's on to get her mother better. And it's pretty, um, and so the conflict there was not that difficult because it starts out with such a serious um, premise. Oh, okay. I like I like the way that you kind of explain that. So, yeah, yeah. She, took the, she took the premise there. In fact, with the one book, Amber Light, the other book, Island Healing, the one I had mentioned before, was a young teenager. She's the catalyst for it. And I think about that teenager all the time. I mean, and, and I think about Sarah in, in Amber Light. I think about that journey all the time. It's a character that never goes away. I mean, the characters in those books never go away. I mean, they're just always there. I'm always thinking about what their lives are, are now. A friend teases me all the time because I think of them off living their lives. Oh, they have no kids, or they've grown up, or they've done all the serious things. But they both had really serious big time conflicts that started 
and a friend of mine was saying, I, I love Sarah and, and Amber Light, but one easy thing, you know, she said, oh no, no, she got that easily. <laughs> she didn't like it that I met her, and so she said, no, you got to go back to the sweetheart. So I had to make that a little harder, you know, for her. But it, yeah. it, it's very challenging to make things hard for therapists, you know, you know. And I, I, yeah, no, I, I, I love that. <laughs> I even <laughs> like the, the cortinas of that. Yeah. What, what inspired you to enter the romance world with your own voice? Was there a specific thing that drew you into it? Um, when I, I, I realized that I would be better off learning to write fiction, and I really did it, even though I had been a nonfiction writer for, you know, 30 years. Um, yeah. If I decided I wanted to write fiction, I think I really had to, to, to learn. And I was doing too much of the mainstream type fiction and wasn't really learning enough about the craft. And romance seemed, and I started to write these longer romances, and then finally serious romance, when I realized but there were openings in places like like the Harlequin Heart Warning. But they were looking for a story. I thought, oh, this my, my very first time, I thought, oh, this could be a, a Harlequin Heart Warning. And and I wrote it specifically for that that market and got it and when it was oh. accepted it was just real exciting. And I, I proposed two other books. It was it was it was a series. And and that's the kind of me over into it because I was always writing the love story kind of aspect. And then I yeah. just twisted into that more romance structure with some of the stories. But um, the family drama love story is just an expanded way of doing romance in a way. I like that. I do like that a lot. I think that's kinda kinda awesome actually. When you write your book, is it like a jigsaw puddle that you're like putting all the pieces together, or is it very much like a movie and you're just sort of writing down what you see? I like the movie approach, I think. I think I see it all visually. And and while I do have to go in and fill in scenes and the story doesn't always come together, you know, I mean, it's, I, I try to plan, do some planning. Um, but I would say it's more like a movie because I see it as a movie. I see the characters moving around. I hear yeah. them. I hear them and see them in dialogue. That's cool. I like that because it's very much like a movie for me as well. So it's nice to share that with someone. Yeah. What ca what characters stayed with you the most or the longest? Well, this 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 uh, this Lila is her name. Lila Saint, yeah. her, her last name Saint, and she's 13. And just what she does to try to help her, her, her mother, who has MS, and she wants to get her mother better. And what she does to find that, that help ends up bringing other, all these other characters that are the main characters, which are secondary characters. But yeah. In a way, I don't even believe in secondary characters, you know, in certain ways, she's so important to it. But there was something about her that stuck with, with readers, this 13-year-old, who was willing to 
take so many risks and secrets and everything else in order to make her mother better. And the kind and when she did come out and be upfront about it, the way the doctor's offices sort of patronized her internet research that she found from it, you know. And instead of being compassionate for her, they were sometimes very dismissive of her. So she learned how to keep secret with it. And I just think yeah. about her all the time and she she's made she makes her point. Um in in her and she's gonna have the plane she's gonna be one of the main characters in her series. So I didn't want to ever let that particular character go. And then the other character is is Sarah Whitman, who you see her from this eighteen year old pregnant teenager, which is up to the stage, to a twenty six year old who has become a mother and educated herself, found herself found the book, found and then her her terror about being around men that has to be worked
Yeah, you what figure somebody pet? needs to have them. You know what I mean? Yeah, they don't... we all need a pet. And some of yeah, actually, like, I don't are... have one myself. <laughs> I don't oh, have do you a dog? No, no, I don't have a dog. Never, never owned a dog. Had cats years and years ago, but I really, I, I, I like to. I haven't moved around in terms of actually yeah. moving my location in, in a while, but I like the idea of getting in the car and going somewhere on the spur of the moment. And I just yeah, not well, wanted to accomplish it. Yeah. yeah. Oh, we'll, we'll have to, listeners, we'll have to, to organize a, a kitten or something cute and furry for Virginia <laughs> so that she's not lonely. Make sure she's got a friend she can talk to. No, that's why I uh, write them. Uh, they become so surreal to me that the horses, the dogs, the cats, they're all my friends and pets. Oh, I like <laughs> that. What techniques have you found most helpful and were there ones that you wish you hadn't tried? I'm sorry, I didn't hear the first part of the question. Has there been writing techniques that you found helpful? And were there ones that you wish that you hadn't tried? I have tried them all. Um, I am not an extensive outliner. I can't sit and I and do real extensive outlining. I am glad, however, that I tried the save the cat fifteen beats method. I like right. that, Jessica um, Jessica Brody. I really like that. I also go for productivity. I think there's lots of different ways to plot and tell you know tell stories, outline, not outline, all of that. But for productivity, in my my coaching practice, actually that's where I've really seen the most changes in other people when they have problems getting started. I like book in a week, book in a month, and 100 words in 100 days. And just briefly, April Kilstrom. Came, popularized this method book in a week and the idea is to take a week of your your life and not schedule anything else if you have to work you have family fine you do all that but every minute around all of that time you spend writing and you just write you, you don't go back you don't you, you do the fast first draft method which i also believe in not going back to edit what you just wrote, you know, two days ago or any of that. I believe in going forward and getting this draft down. And book in a week and book in a month, which is the same principle, is are the ways that I found the best way to do fast first draft. A hundred words in a hundred days is good for getting a book started when you're working on other things. Yeah. And almost an or this is where a lot of people have, have talked to me about it, when they're kind of blocked, and they say, I don't have time, I can't have time for this, you can always write 100 words. And if you wrote 100 yeah. words for 100 days, you have 10,000 words. So, That's very true. And I, so I you, it feels yeah. easier than doing the whole nano thing, because nano sometimes feels like it's so much pressure. Like, yes. it is a lot of pressure. And and sometimes it kind of takes me out of the knees and then I try to catch up and it's almost like you're always trying to catch up. So like, I like the fact that 100 days does seem easier and it does seem more kind of like, I would say achievable would be the word that I'm desperately searching for. Um, so yeah. These are I, all I doable. 
They're all, yeah, they're all doable. The 100 words in 100 days, the trick there is that almost any time you, you start doing that, you go over 100 words. Now, maybe what happened, actually, the first book that, that ended up my Harlequin, the first book of the first Harlequin series, Girl in the Spotlight, that was a 100 words in 100 days book. That started that, that way. And then when I finished the project, then I went back to it, and then I got it going. I mean, there have been a couple of books like that that have, are already, you know, out, that started yeah. out that kind of book. And I might have I might have written 300 words that first day, and maybe 120 the second day, and maybe, maybe 200 the third day. You, they keep piling up, and you keep finding the story. And then you can make all kinds of notes to yourself, too, you know add in more here, this makes this, what am I going to do with this character, where this mm -hmm. something needs, something would make, something needs to happen here, I'll say, you know, yeah, get in But those are really good productivity tools. Yeah. No, I like that. Because I think a lot of the times, like, um, people who do take on nano, sometimes we think, oh yeah, this was a really good idea. And then we're like, oh, no, it's not. Oh, what was I thinking? And then you get into like a, I always say, a state of panic. And, you know, you, you need somebody co almost to kind of like grab you, pull you out of that state of panic and say, no, it's okay. You know, it's a lot, but you can get there. Um, so, yeah, no, I, I, I think the 100 words feels more easier to achieve than, you know, not doing anything at all. Um, so, yeah, I, well, I find that. You know, nano a book in a month. I would say to people, sure, go for it. Just go as go however many words you can possibly do. People seem to to like it. What I would recommend with some of those things, like a nano, is to stay off the of the um, uh, group that formed where everybody's checking in with everybody all the time. That, those really those take a lot of time away. I don't. I don't ever go in there, and I think that's because I know if I go in there, then that's me gone for the entire day, and I'm screwed. Yeah, I, so I, I, I don't go in there at all. I feel so right. awful because I don't. But I know. Yeah, I I think I've just learned a lot of lessons. Um, like you know, I used to always have my Twitter open and my Facebook open, and I would talk to people, and I would you know interact with all the readers constantly and then I realized what am I doing because 90% of you know my writing time is now having these conversations is uh -huh. you know spending time getting involved in conversations so people are recognizing my name and recognizing this the material that I want to talk about and the material I find interesting and I just realized just like how much of my time I was wasting and it yeah, I f but I still feel bad because I still feel like that was what I was known for was being able to write and do the fan interaction at the same time. But it's just not something that, that I found feasible. Really well, you're, and you're I, protecting your health too, so you yeah. have to be careful. I really have to protect my health now. <laughs> Whether I want to, uh, want to or not, it's kind of being forced upon me. So um, as my husband says, for goodness sake, stop trying to do everything. And I am right. one of these writers that's really hard on myself because I'm like, oh, my house is a mess. Why have I not cleaned up? Oh, yeah, that's because I was writing today. 
And then having that guilt of my house isn't tidy and my floors aren't hoovered and I've not done the dishes today. Like, you know, those kind of guilts. And then yes, I get super I hard on myself. Yeah. And I, I, <laughs> I have to learn not to. I'm still learning, like, not to get kind of upset about it because it's ridiculous. I, I can't yeah. do everything, you know? Um, so I think that's the useful side of it. It's like, oh, yeah, we can do everything, you know? So going into your life. This is where everybody gets to know you as a human being and as a person. What is the first thing that you do when you need to just de-stress from everything, whether it's editing or writing? What is your way of just letting everything go and just relaxing? I like uh, I, I like to walk. I like to drink coffee out with friends. I love coffee. I like to um, I like to read and I like to watch series and I go to the library just because it's there <laughs> and I browse in the in the library that's not far away um, but I in the decent weather I walk a lot my, you know, my, my favorite walk. my favorite house was across from a library yeah <laughs> my library was knew me better too. than anybody else because I was yeah. constantly going in and I said do you want to read my book and I I had all the libraries, you know, librarians read it, and I encouraged everyone, and, but I was never out of there. And Ian was like, for goodness sake, you know, the library is not your second home. And of course, because we've moved away and I can't get to any libraries now, I'm, I'm in the country and we have the most unreliable bus service because I can't drive. We don't have a bus service, technically, because you're never guaranteed it's gonna go at the times it says. Like, sometimes it can be up to 55 minutes late for your stop. And I don't have that kind of energy to stand for 55 minutes and wait for this bus. Yeah. So I don't go as much as I used to. But I love going into libraries and bookshops. And my husband, he literally pulls his hair out because he's like, Crystal, for sake, like, we cannot get any more books in this house. Um, and I actually just wrote to him last night that I've got a publisher sending me eight arcs. And he was like, how many? I was like, eight arcs. He's like, where are we putting this next bookcase yeah. that you, you've obviously planned? And I'm like, oh, I'm sure you can find somewhere. Yeah. And he just sort of looks at me as if to say, you're freaking unbelievable. <laughs> he honestly, I think he spent more time building bookcases than he's done anything in his life. Yeah, you can he, see here where I'm getting. Yeah, he the was whole a shop fitter. He reckons he's put in more bookshelves since leaving his shop fitter's job than he ever put in when he was there. Uh -huh. um, so yeah, and, and anytime Christmas comes up, he knows exactly what to buy me. Bookcases. Yes. Yes. <laughs> do you have to, Do you have the same problem as me with the Tower of Pisa of books that you've got to read and it's sort of like leaning over your bed? Oh yes. Well, and then I have this library shelf behind me, and those are the library books. I renew them and I take them back and I write them down and say, well, I'll have to get them another time. I don't have time now. But I take yeah. a lot of, a lot of, of, of stuff. And I do, you know, I think like a lot of, of writers, I do like to hang out with, with, other, with other people, particularly writers. Um, well, my, my dream is to meet you all at the yeah. Romance Convention in America. Yeah. 
walk in and just hug everyone and say, oh my god, we've had all these conversations, I get to see you, meet you now. Absolutely. And just go to the dinners and talk to everybody. It's so weird because I've been invited to do two tables and I've never been able to make it out. Oh, and wow. one of the tables that they wanted me to do was with a woman called Sarah Hunters, and she was a New York bestseller for adult fantasy. And she had these group of friends, and she was wanting to put this table together. And I was going to kind of be the odd one out because I didn't have an adult fiction out. I only had like a YA thing. And they were like, "Well, Crystal, your your attitude towards story writing is what will make it the most interesting one to read." And I thought yeah no i would be the one sitting in the corner taking notes <laughs> like ooh, ooh. <laughs> you know but um that's the dream is is to to come out and, and just see you guys and just say hi and, and you will know that i'm there because i'm loud i may be small but it doesn't matter where i am you will hear me because i i don't <laughs> seem to recognize volume i don't seem to have an indoor voice and I was terrified, you know, did you ever play the Chinese whisper game at school? Where you sit in a circle and you would whisper something in somebody's ear and it would go into the next ear and next ear and then you'd uh -huh. have to hear what they were oh, yeah. Everybody knew I whispered. Because I, I wasn't very good at the quiet. Uh -huh. <laughs> they were like, oh, oh Crystal said that! <laughs> so I used to always be the kid with the, you know, the grumpy face because like, yeah, everyone heard me everywhere. I was kind of legendary for the fact that I sounded like. You say I got nicknamed? I was the pixie because they never quite knew when I was going to pop up. Oh, well, that's yeah, yeah. I can understand that. Yeah. And I'm I'm pocket size apparently. <laughs> I don't know if that's a compliment though, pocket size. <laughs> well, well, I used to be pocket size too myself. I was, you know, I'm 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 small too. <laughs> Everything comes in small best in small packages. Yeah, best packages yes. are small. That's right. That's why I say. Um, so what hobbies do you enjoy and is there any that you you wish you had either tried or you want to try? Well, years you know, years ago I made I made clothes, I made my kids' clothes, I made my own clothes. Years and years ago when they were they were little I crocheted rugs, I crocheted and sweaters and little things. And after I started really getting involved in, in writing, and then we also lived on a sailboat, I just we did that for, for seven years and raised kids kind of in that thing. And I just didn't ever seem to be interested in any of that again. And, and really, I consider my away time of the things that give me the pleasure when I'm not, I'm not writing really does involve walking trails. I have botanical gardens here, uh, wildlife refuge areas, uh, a trail that the rails to trails being right behind the, the house. Um, so I would say that that exercise, moving, being out in nature, that sort of thing, that's really a, a, a hobby more than anything else. And then I also, like everybody else now, you know, that I'm always interested in what's the next Netflix is going to be or the next. I think we're all slightly you know? addicted now. I'm terrible. I have like the subscription for Amazon and then I have the sub subscription. So I've got the Paramount Plus and I've oh. got the, the True Crime channel because somebody's always got something great on there. And then, of course, I've got Netflix. 
I mean, it's like, yeah. you know, and then you have all the wrestling, too. So prime video, you know, and you've got the yeah. video, which gives yourself a chance to do theater stuff. <laughs> it's so I think I, I do just... a lot of that. I do a lot of that. And I don't really, if I decide to watch, um, like, I wanted to get interested in, um, in, in Grey's Anatomy. But I never watched oh, I it on actual television. I watched it. I started at, at season one and caught up. Yeah. And I did the same with, with ER. I do it. My nonfiction loves a lot of writing. Yeah. How did you find the, um, the catch-up of Grey's Anatomy? What was your thoughts when you got to the latest season? Well, I liked it a lot. I liked it a lot. I, I um, And I liked ER a lot. Now, that's a much older series. Everything seems very dated in it, but I still liked it a lot. Yeah. Um, you should but try Sh Chicago Med. And yeah, I like that Fire one too. And, and yeah, PD. Chicago Med. I like that one too. And that one I watched on uh, Hulu because yeah. I didn't, then I don't have to. In fact, that was the reason, one of the reasons I got Hulu was that I realized that I wanted to watch certain TV series that were, that were weekly series that I would never. I, I'm I'm really the other hobby I, I have is really current affairs and politics. I'm an activist sort of person. So yeah. I I um I wouldn't want to put time aside and then you know just say, Oh, I have to watch this or that because it's on on Wednesday night or whatever it is. I'd rather watch those at my leisure and keep up with with the news. I'm more yeah, likely totally. to have conversations with people about what's going on and, and getting involved in, in, in some of the... I've been involved so, in institutions. I've been involved in social change and justice issues. And I'm so I involved in that today. so much. I really do because I watch your news. So I watch ABC7 because that was the only news channel I've ever come across in the US. Um, and so I watch ABC7, and then I watch the BBC News, and then, because BBC News gives me all the global stuff, and I just feel like it gives me that, that icebreaker with my guests, because I know if I'm stuck and I'm trying to get somebody to relax so that the show comes out as a normal conversation, <laughs> that I have news. Like, if everything else fails, I've got news. I can say, well, what did you think of Biden's comment, or well, what yeah. did you think of you know, the two police officers that were shot for that domestic in LA. You know, like I have all these areas I can go to. Um, but I find that I don't really watch stuff to enjoy it. I'm doing it to relax so that I can get myself into a position where I can go right. One mm -hmm. of my terrible hobbies, which my grandmother started, was I do cross-stitch, which I'm Oh, do you? I did, that, I did that too years, years ago. So did yeah. my, my mother and sister. But that was so many years ago, it's just hard to even believe I did it. But I started as a little girl, uh, you know, See? doing this cross-stitch something. Yep. Yeah. My, my grandmother was a professional knitter from the age of eight, and she had this great dream in her head of what me and my cousin should be. We should be ladies. We were to be ladies. We were to marry up into money and we were to be leisurely. And she wanted us to cross stitch and she wanted us to crochet and she wanted us to knit and she wanted us to be professional at it. And I just remember looking at her going, but granny, my hands are all swollen. And she's like, well, you're just going to have to get on with it. 
Okay, because you always have this belief that if you are not doing something with your hands, idle hands was the theory. Oh, uh-huh. <laughs> so, yeah, and she had me a lot. So anytime she had me, it was changing nappies. She taught me that, and she taught me how to dress my dog correctly and how to put a pram together correctly and how to serve tea without dribbling. And what biscuits do you serve with tea? there's a certain way to do it and it was just it's weird because I catch myself doing it now when my mother-in-law comes I will actually give her a tray with a with a perfect teacup with a little saucer and the little teaspoons with the sugar and the milk and the biscuits and it's all laid out perfectly and then I think to myself why did I just do all that effort when she's just going to drink half a cup of tea yeah. But it, it's oh, my well. nan's influence in my yes. brain. Like, it's her that says to me, Oh, your house is not clean enough. Why are you sitting there doing nothing? Go go clean your house. And it's, it's just, just the, because she was like my mom. Because my mom really was the person that raised me in the hospital. But we didn't have that close relationship outside the hospital because she would work. Mm-hmm. So that meant I was with my nana. And to me, nan was the she was my second mother so having two opposite women teaching me two different things my mom wanted me to be the feminist activist you know loudmouth person which I I was and then my nan was you know ladylike don't swear watch what you're saying manners men are in the room let men talk women talk separately it was just this whole other way of living yeah but it has given me the most incredible material for writing. And I that's, don't think she realized true. that. That's true. I think you're yeah, I think you're you're right. You see that you know, I my my mother was uh, was older when she had me and my my grandmother was older when she had my my mother and so they span I don't want to carry this back. My my mother was born before women could vote. So, you know. Yeah. So there's a there's a whole history there, um, but I remember being told and being very kind of proud that my, my grandmother had been a milliner, and she stayed independent for kind of as long as she, she could. I think my, my grandmother was a, a woman that she hadn't felt pressured to, to marry. She probably didn't have. She, yeah. she enjoyed her her life with her her own work. She was also a wonderful seamstress. And then she did tatting and crocheting. I have a big big um, uh, bed cover that's for crochet uh, bedspread and, and she did she did all of that. And then she was a baker and a cook but you know we found out she really didn't like the baking much. But she liked her seamstress work and her you know she did enjoyed making her own dresses and suits, and these were professional. She was a, like a professional seamstress. Wow. See, and then that's my, the my grandmother also did her own and went along, and she went to college, and she was the first woman, woman to go to college in any of the family stuff. And she became a librarian, and, and she had a more... Um, she had a more egalitarian marriage, and she was, she, even though, you know, I'm not sure she would have called it that, she, she stayed home with us and things like that, but she more, and she knew she was going to go back to work and have her, her, own, her own career, 
And that was just built in for her life. So it wasn't an unusual thing for my, my sister and me to have the same idea yeah. going forward. That These are the stories that I love because that's the everyday person who mm-hmm. has to figure out life. And mm-hmm. I don't know why, but that was what I loved about Catherine was the everyday struggle, the everyday uh-huh. person. And that's what I love. And I think I think that's what unites us all together in a way because it, it really does come across as, as amazing and fresh yeah. and enjoyable. So yeah. And funnily enough, my next question was, are you somebody that likes crafts? And do you find it clears sort of like your creative I know this is a plumbing reference, but I can't think of anything. But does it clear your your tubes when you get all like gunged up and you know you, you get too many ideas going at once? I use well, crafts to kind of. No, clear I don't. It. I don't. I don't use crafts at, at all anymore for any of that. It just doesn't doesn't interest me so much. I thought I might like to start drawing a little less with me, but I everything sits here. I I haven't done anything with it. I think walking, yeah. walking and reading. Are probably and then seeing friends, seeing out you know later today I'm going to go out to dinner with, with a friend and a, a writer friend who now has a, another job and so we don't get to see each other a lot and, and I will just sit and talk over everything just the way you and I are yeah and that that's, really that's the best thing yeah helps me a lot I I enjoy that and then I also I'm a gregarious person who also needs to be alone a lot for this work. Yeah, I But I'm very gregarious. In fact, a lot of people say, how can you write alone in your house just day after day? You know, when you're so gregarious, and I thought, I love being alone. I love being out with people, and I love being alone. See, I'm, I'm weird. I like, when I'm in hospital, I like to be alone to write if I'm getting peace to write, which is the issue usually. Um, so I like my own single room because I can close the door and I can swear and I can throw things if my book's not going the way it should be. But I I am one of these people, because I've been with Ian for so long, we've been together every day, like 24-7 for 14 years. Yeah. We don't really know how to be apart from each other. So Uh him going and starting this bus journey that he is a bus driver and he's driving these buses, it has been like somebody's just taken half of my heart and walked out oh, the door. Sure. And it and it's been so hard to focus on writing because it feels like somebody just stole like half of me. And I've always been learning like to be alone again. And like, okay, it's okay to be alone. It's not you know, nothing's gonna happen to you. You're fine. And and I am learning, but what I do to escape and I, I almost use it to run the clock down till he comes home is I write, 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 write. Uh-huh. And then I go, oh shit, I need to eat something. <laughs> and usually bolt to the kitchen because I don't want him to come in and say, have you eaten today? And me be like, no. And him be like, go eat something. You know, because I'm terrible. If I get really into something, the rest of the world doesn't exist. So writing has become so much more like a crutch for me as well because it's hard to be away from him. And now that we're talking about starting a family, I'm like, oh my god, is this how it's going to feel when my kids leave home? Am I going to be sitting just suddenly crying at like 2 o'clock in the afternoon because they're not here? Like, oh, what's, dear. Well, what's that's wrong totally with me? 
Yeah, like, years. <laughs> yeah, like, I, I think I will get to the point where I'll be like, oh, thank God, they're gone. But <laughs> I know that my mom thinks that. Like, I, she had 14 years of a break from me, and then I came back for, like, six months. She loved the, the new adult me, because I made the fire in the morning and made her cup up for coffee. I made sure she ate, which she kind of felt was like I was being the parent, because she didn't eat. Mm -hmm. Um... And she loved it, but she didn't love my cats. Oh. She'd gotten so used to not having pets, so she got used to not hoovering and not chasing the animals around and falling over them. It, so, like, she loved me, but she just wished they hadn't brought the cats home with me. Well, um, <laughs> I and I said I'm a package deal, Mum. I have a six foot two guy sleeping in the room, and I have two cats. I think it's a package deal. Um, uh -huh. but, now she's got my brother home with his girlfriend so so she's just swapped one child for the other which you know happens in Shetland we all come back that's yeah. the curse if you if you live in Shetland for any length of time you get this a little elastic band that just kind of ties itself to your butt cheeks and you don't even I'm have sure. hair and then you get to go away for so long and then all of a sudden you will go ping and you're suddenly back in Shetland, and you have no idea why. It just happens. It's kind like of magic. like that too. People who, people who um, grew up in in Maine and then leave always seem to go back. They always find a way way back. I think it's because people people's roots there go back so far that they yeah. find themselves drawn. You know, whereas I don't know. I I never felt that rooted. And that's why I've, I've moved around a lot without a lot of consequence, you know. I, yeah. I don't, I feel like wherever I am is home, but I don't have one home place. I really understand that because I, I've been a bit of a gypsy, is, is, is kind of what the nickname in the family is for me, because I'm terrible, right? Absolutely terrible. I stay somewhere for so long, and then I'm like, Ian, I need to move. Yeah. I need to move somewhere else. I need to experience a little bit more of the world. And he gets so mad at me because we've moved, I think, I want to say 14 times in 14 mm -hmm. years. Yeah. But that's not us staying there for, for, like, we might have stayed a year one place or, you know, six months somewhere. And it really is the case of I'm trying to find that place that I love, that's home to me, and I want to raise my kids in. And I did find that one little town that I absolutely adored, and I just haven't been able to get back there because it's... I'm sure you've got expensive sea towns, sea towns that you live in, that you've been in, that are really expensive to stay in because all the houses are like exp super expensive. Yes. So we stayed somewhere like that, and we, we got lucky. We got two houses that we could stay in, and we rented, and we were there for three years different houses but we were there for years and I fell in love with the place because I could walk to church I could walk to the train station I could walk anywhere I wanted and I could even like just pause laptop up fire it in my rucksack and walk down to the local coffee shop everything was that easy I don't stay there anymore I stay in the countryside because he wanted to be in the country and it's uh -huh. driving me crazy because I can't go anywhere um yeah, so, yeah and and That's his hard. family just yeah, and I, once I find that sort of place that, you know, makes him happy, 
I can see the ocean. It's warm mm. enough that I can sit outside because today has rained all day. <laughs> but to be able to sit outside with a book and be happy, and that's what I loved about LA because I could go anywhere I wanted. I could. I had that freedom, that freedom, that thing that I I adore so much, and I cannot wait to have that opportunity to be somewhere like that again. But I know uh-huh. this is not my final place. I will be moving again. <laughs> Yeah, no, I, I understand. Yeah. Um, I understand. Yeah. I, my city life was, was certainly, you know, all um, public transportation, and I never drove until we, we moved to Maine, and I, and I had to get a good car, and I had to learn to drive, and, and it was just a whole different, different life. Here, I really have to drive. Yeah, I, I go out and walk, but it's not yeah. the same kind of practical walking that you do in a, in a city. Yeah, no, I agree, and I mean, I I think it's hilarious because I was a small town Islander who then went yeah. to Glasgow, the East End of Glasgow, not even like the posh bit, the East End where it's rough and tough and whatever, and now I'm living in the country again. So it's it, it's I think I feel like I'm going round in circles. <laughs> Which, well, you know, I. Maybe you you know you're you meant to live in all these different places. That's how I feel. You know, I, I, think, I feel like writers we need to though, because we need to experience yeah. everybody. You know, it the really only way to do that is setting. to be there. There are settings and you kind of um I think that's what I like about writing series is that you need you have to keep it in a place. Just create any kind of place you want. You can base it on something, but you, you know, you could set it in a real place, but you don't have to. You make up your own town, you make up your own main street, you make up your own city, you make, you make it all up. And you yeah. can really, if you want to have lakes and rivers and oceans or whatever, you just put it, put it, put it in there. Well, I myself have a long-term illness that makes me slow down and appreciate the day. What would you say is the one thing that makes you sort of slow down, smell the roses, and really enjoy just every day? Um, well, just the, the whole process of my, my life, having done this for, for so many years, and being content in my, my life. Um, I like, like I said, I like living alone. I like where I live. Um, for my house, I have my own my own office space here. <laughs> you know, which um, I love. Yeah, yeah, and I I really feel incredibly privileged to have work that I love still. Um, I don't think about retirement. I love happy. Um, I have friends. I have family. I I, I think the thing that just keeps me is that I love what I do and I have a really I feel like I have a really good life. That's that's a really good answer. I love that. What's and your not everybody my age has good life. I mean seriously. Um a lot of people feel forced to retire. Um I, I will never have that I only want to write I want to write for as long as I can. I am with you on that. However many years that is, and I just feel like, like, um, I just I want to preserve as much of this this life 
this pleasant life and, and doing what I love for as long as I can. I and then you and then if something happens to me and I'm when I'm gone I will I will have felt like I lived a good life. And you know and many See I plan to leave my legacy to my kids. So like one of them will be a writer and they will get all mum's ideas in a box and say, Can you complete the following? And just that will be their their gift in my you know, their will is, you know, mom's dream yes. to be the writer of the family. Which I, th I think is a bit mean, but I would have loved if somebody had left me something like that. I think that, you know, I, I always thought that was kind of cool. So where's your favorite place to curl up during the day? Is it like, do you like gardens? Do you have a reader's nook? Do you, do you um, like I like my office, which is also a reading room. It's, it's where I do most everything. <laughs> I stream stuff here. I, I read here. I write here. Um, I have things around me that I like. And I've, I've always had this web space, the writer space, and sometimes it was able to be in a, in a, um, a, a garbage truck going by. That's okay. Um, it's every time I've had lots of and there's, there's always been living spaces because I don't really separate out. This is writing, this is this. It all yeah. goes together for me. And speaking of the business of the legacy and the family, you know, my connection, neither one of them has very missed. They have no memory of that being writing. That's all they know. Yeah. So that, you know, when, when you come into a family where people are already doing things, it's just a part of writing. I do love I love that answer because like but the way I look at it is I don't have a special area just to go sit and read I just have the bed or the bath um, but I'm trying to make it consciously to take time out of the day to read to relax and get my juices uh -huh. flowing so yeah, that's that's what I do. We're now on to the word game, which is the final segment of our podcast. So I'm going to read a list of sort of words, and uh, you can see what books pop to mind. Now I will tell you, I gave you a theme. So when I looked you up and I was going to have you on, I tried to imagine where I would meet you, and I imagined a conference set in a sunny little town in Georgia where it's warm and you're all gathered around in a beautiful little garden with fresh flowers and all this beautiful smells and we're talking about uh, writing and books and we're knitting and we're doing all these crafty things um, as a fun adventure in our little world so that that was the theme i gave you okay so your first word is wool i'm sorry First word is what? Wool, as in wool from sheep. I'm sorry, I'm not under understanding you. The first word is like wool, as in yarn. Oh, loom. Oh, okay. Um, loom. Hmm. Oh, I can think of a good title. There's something bloom 
<laughs> I actually thought of um, Catherine Cookson's uh, The Girl in the Cave. Oh. She has. She talks about her woolen shawl, and it gets threadbare as she's trying to live in this cave with this, with her son. Oh, and I, wool. I just, yeah. I thought you said wool. Okay, well, wool. I have a, a friend, and her her book is called the, the Skin I'm In, and and her name is Kate Bowman, and this is a woman who has has sheep in her, in her real life. She had sheep and. In her book life, that she's a spinner, and so she has this character, Martha, who is a who, who learns how to spin her own wool. And oh, the, wow. the title of the book is the, the, the spin I'm, I'm in, and it's all about wool. <laughs> what about reading? I'm sorry. Did you give me another word? A uh, reading place, like our favorite reading chair. Like a reading, like an armchair or a beat up sort of window seat. I think I'm misunderstanding what the word game is. I think you, I thought you were giving me a word and that had to be in, in the title of a book. No, no, it just connects to the book. It just oh, it connects just connects to the, to the book. Oh, oh, okay. Um, to give you an idea, I had Round Tower by Catherine Cookson because it talks about the girl who sits in the tower in the window seat you know, and she's looking out for the guy that she's fallen in love with and it's always night time they meet so she's getting excited as the night's coming up well and when it comes to a window seat when I think of a window seat and reading um, I have a book in in progress actually called Shooting in, in the Neighborhood um, and and the people there have a window seat that plays a, a role in this. And then Amber Light, after, after Sarah, my main character, is, is hurt, she sits in the window seat all night long. And so that has a meaning in that book. I love that. That, that is, I like that so much. <laughs> what about Sunshine? Sunshine. Well, Amber Light, I think of sunshine because of the way the sun shines and the light shines on the on the marshes. The, the Georgia, yeah. the marshes yeah. on the coast of, of, of Georgia. And this one's a little bit tougher. Okay. It's a comfy garden chair. Oh, comfy garden chair. That's uh, there's a, a woman in my in, in that a friend of mine and her, her book is called The Court Garden and she has comfy garden chairs that she and, and a man sit and talk a lot. And it comes in a beautiful garden and comfy garden chairs. I had the, the Darrells um, because they're always in the, the garden chairs especially Larry when he's writing he's sort of lying in this wooden chair and I, I just always thought of him for some daft reason when uh, I think of garden chairs now. Yeah. What about rose bushes? Rose bushes. Well, there's a book, a historical novel called Of Roses. Ooh. Um, and they have rose gardens. Yeah. In it. Oh, I like that. Yeah. 
what about yeah. daisies? Um, well, then I think of daisies, but I think of, um, well, actually, I think of daisies, I think of just one of my, my own books. Called Chapels on the Hill, and the Chapels is a family, and, and they opened a private botanical garden in what used to be the family farm. And they have they have white daisies and other white flowers that are on their 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 hair. It's a green kind of green garden. Oh wow! Yeah, I love that. And your final word to wrap up this amazing podcast is sunflowers. Is what? Sunflowers. Sunflowers. Oh, sunflowers. Oh, well, sunflowers are just in Wyoming. The Wyoming yep. ranches. Wyoming ranch. I tied that one Wyoming to your book. Friend. Yeah. Yeah. There's sunflowers. I, I was thinking all ahead. Over. Yeah. 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 All over. So there, there will be. That was a summer book, so there will be sunflowers. The Jack Holiday Homecoming is a fall and winter book. And. Three, they might have, yeah, they'll just still have a few sunflowers because that's going to be a Thanksgiving, end of Thanksgiving. Ooh, I, I like, like the holiday books, even though I'm not big on Christmas mm. myself. I'm not a big Christmas person. I've in, yeah. enjoyed writing Christmas stories in some of these. Uh, I do too. Like, I love that. But unfortunately, I never get to do the Christmas stories. I have a pile, literally a pile of books I want to write. Christmas books. Yeah. Um, I just need to find the right place that I can sort of do them, that I can feel confident in doing them. But you could do Christmas stories with a lot of the Harlequin lines if you wanted to target the Harlequin. I actually had an idea for the midwife one um, at Christmas. Uh huh. So, yeah, it was um, Delivering Santa's Miracle. Oh, wonderful. I had, yeah, I had that one. And I've sort of fully flushed it out as well it's just because when I when I worked out my midwifery line that I wanted to do I had something like 22 books planned yeah so <laughs> it would be like it would be a big thing to say Harlequin hi my name is Crystal Fleming I would really like to do 22 of your medical romance books please <laughs> like I don't quite see them kind of say okay I'm no I like think you better, you better put <laughs> Actually, one of my, my, my friends, that friend I was telling you about when we first started yeah. talking, was somebody who was able to take a three book, make a three book series out of a particular hospital. And she oh. had the different people in the hospital, and it was a small town, Wisconsin hospital. Yeah, because my, my whole idea for my midwifery book is to set it in the Orkney Islands. So it's in a very rural place in Scotland with yeah. a beautiful beautiful scenery and to have these group of midwives that go there as part of this um, opportunity to help out in the islands but they end up falling in love with people from all over yeah. the world through this one place this one hospital the Orcadian um, Royal and yeah that's my plan I just I've just been I've been a scaredy cat I think that's what's happened I lost all my confidence and I'm trying to get it back again oh so, well yeah. that's not actually i think that sounds like a wonderful series a whole, a whole mid midwifery series yeah and... the thing was i was a training midwife i got so close to completing my midwifery and then my health gave up i 
they told me I, they weren't going to let me finish the course. Oh, dear. And it broke my heart because I got told by so many of the staff, oh, my God, you're the best midwife we've had in years. And I'm only in my first year. And I delivered babies and I worked with all these people. And it just it broke my heart to walk away. So at least I can take all the stories that I've seen and I've experienced in those wars and just really give them life in books and keep it going. And I want to try and encourage people to go and do midwifery jobs in the Outer Islands because they're running out. Yes. There's hardly any midwives left and maternity units are shrinking and, and people are losing babies because there's not enough, you know, maternity support out there. So I'm hoping if the books can help then then I I will be more than happy to, uh, well, add I think to that. So. I think so. I can I, I have no no doubt. And I think that's how, you know, when you were talking about childhood like that series. Just think of all the women that it brought to light over this these generations that have covered now. And all the bringing dignity to this work too. And the setting yeah. of the Manatus house, you know, the, the And it, it's weird because home births are still a thing in Shetland. They're really big in Shetland. It's not uh -huh. a private thing. You can have that on the yes. NHS. Especially if you stay at an island where you have to get two ferries to the mainland and then it's yes. a three hour flight to Aberdeen. Or you have to get right. a fourteen hour boat from the mainland to Aberdeen. Right. It is awful. So a lot of these women, you know, it's either in the local hospital or you're having birth at home. Mm -hmm. And I really want to show that women there work twice as hard as people in big hospitals. They have to learn twice as fast. They have to adapt in a drop of a hat. And sometimes they have to pull off these incredible things. And yes. luckily for me, I'm still very connected into the maternity units and into the specialist doctors. And I will have disabled heroines too. Like, I'll have a girl who's got arthritis or a hers lupus and, and people giving birth who are disabled too because I, I believe in inclusivity and I think mm -hmm. that I want that to show in my work so I'm making a point now in pushing those angles but it has been a pleasure having you I have it's been, you have, I came on before I had had a bad day and you've made my day so much better you have cheered me up beyond no end Oh, well, thank you so much for, for having me. This has been a lot of fun. I enjoyed talking to you before I enjoy talking to you now. This has really been, been great. Uh, you've, been, you've got you're busy writing all of these, these books, too. You've got, <laughs> I write, I podcast, I study. I, I, I know. I to save at some point. <laughs> I know. You do a lot of things. Yeah. <laughs> thank you so, I mean, so it, much. It is just because I'm stuck in the house. I mean, if I was my original because I was a dancer just like you and I, yeah. I danced so much and then when my body said no you're you know you're not going to do this anymore I went through crisis I didn't know what I was going to do I I'd always journaled I'd always been writing but I never really thought of it as a, an opportunity in a career so I'm fighting my way through the uh, politics and I hope one day that people look at me in the way that they look at you and the way they look at Catherine and the way that they look at Daniel Steele and just be like no matter what they put in front of her, she got there. She broke it. She broke the glass. She she made it possible for the best uh -huh. of us to 
Yes, my we want to we want to create the, the careers that are are, are right for us. I just want it to be a good path for other people. Like, if I mm -hmm. never make it, as long as I knock down those doors that other people can walk through, and they can live their dream, that to me is enough of reward. That really absolutely. Is. Good for you. Well, guys, you're going to want to stop by next week as we have another guest who is completely right wing. You will never see her coming, and it'll be very much worth it. So, see you all again next Monday.